Blog Talk Radio. I'm Laura Mai, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Sorry if that sound was a little off. I still had it on speaker and didn't realize um, that I had not pushed the button yet. I'm so happy to welcome you to what probably is the last show for 2014. And before I go any further, I just want to thank, 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 thank all of you for your continued support and for listening to the show and for emailing me and sending me messages when I miss a week or two and to say, what's wrong? Where's the podcast? Please tell me you haven't stopped. No, 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 none of that. I have just been incredibly busy working on tons of stuff. Um, And let me share one of those with you. First of all, I am finishing up a new book and a new course. Uh, Not quite sure what the title is going to be, but it's about – playing and stages of play and if you've been a long time podcast listener oh gosh maybe in 2012 2011 maybe even before that we did a series um, about the stages of play and since then I've battered and bantered uh, that topic around and have done some different things with it and I always admit to get that that project published but I never was quite sure what to do about it but it's ending up to be a book and a course with uh, ASHA CEUs, for those of you who are speech-language pathologists, I'm actually teaching a short version of this course, course at the Kentucky Speech and Hearing Convention at the end of February. So if you are a Kentucky girl like me um, and are planning on coming to that, be sure to come hear me talk. I believe that is Thursday afternoon of the convention. It runs Wednesday until Saturday. I wish I had the date in front of me. I wish I had gathered those details before I talked about it. But if you're from Kentucky or any surrounding state, we have lots of folks who do come in from Ohio and Indiana, and it's going to be in Louisville, which, again, I live outside Louisville, so it feels like a local event. Um, So please, please, please come hear me. I'd love to uh, have you there when I debut this information in its current form, and it's certainly um, a topic that I talked about in the podcast series when we did that a couple years back, but it's fresher now. I've added some newer research. There's tons of evidence-based practice for this, particularly for um, therapists who work in a clinical setting who see children and you're wondering, where should I start? How, what are activities that work for this kid? Or for kids who you're just having a really, really hard time with and you think, I just cannot reach this kid or I don't have anything he likes. Usually it's because we're not starting at the right level of play for where that child is functioning. And we we are so adept most of the time (laughs) at thinking about where a kid is functioning language-wise, but guys, it's his cognition that drives play. And so there will be children who... For whatever reason, you kind of miss that. You're either starting with play activities that are too complex, and so it appears that they don't like what you have because they don't understand what you're doing. Those things, those activities, those materials don't quite make sense to them. Or it may be an opposite problem. You may be trying things that are too simple. You may have a kid who verbally is, well, let's just say he's nonverbal, 
but cognitively, he's further along than that. You haven't quite teased those differences out, and he doesn't engage with you or play with you or stay with you or like you <laughs> because you're playing with things that don't interest him. He's beyond that from a cognitive and maturation perspective. So it is so important to be sure that you understand what you're doing, not only one-on-one so that you can select the very best, most engaging materials for children, but more importantly, so you can talk to their parents about that. Because again, I have seen, oh, probably hundreds of kids who fall into this category. You talk with their parents or you, if you're doing home visits, you go to their home and mom may say, I have bought every toy known to man (laughs) and I cannot find one thing that he will stay with for more than 10 seconds. That always, 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 well, it doesn't always mean this, but a lot of the times it really does mean that mom hasn't quite hit the mark with where that child is really functioning from a play perspective. And so this new course that, again, it's going to be on DVD if you're not able to hear it live. I'm probably going to teach it live a lot next year. Um, And we don't have, gosh, it's 2014 is not even over yet, so I Certainly do not have the 2015 conference schedule ready to release, but I know we're going to teach it live in lots and lots of places, lots of our favorite places that we've already been, Uh, new places hopefully too, but if you don't want to wait for a live event, it'll certainly be on DVD, hopefully by early spring, March or April, so check that out. The book will be on on sale well before then, but I'm finishing that up and it's really exciting, so I'm so glad I got to talk about it today on the podcast. Other announcements, if you missed any (laughs) post in December with cute therapy ideas, now you're out of time because tomorrow is Christmas Eve, but be sure that you're going back and looking at those posts uh, over the next week or so. I probably am going to take those down and not leave those up over the year so that next year I can tweak them and they'll be fresh. But if you are getting ready to pack away your therapy materials for the year, do yourself a favor and kind of plan ahead a little bit and keep all your Christmas materials and your Christmas ideas together. Put them in a bag, put them in a box, put them in a bin, however you organize things, and print some of those posts off from Teach Me to Talk and save those. And, you know, maybe even make yourself a little list of these are the things that I would like to do next year. These are the things that worked. These are the things that don't work. When we spend the time to... Reflect on what we've just done, whatever season that was. If you, you know, again, had a lot of a lot of holiday-related therapy activities, so many times we're kind of sick of it when we put it up, and we don't realize, oh, I lost this piece or this part of this activity would have gone better had I done this or whatever. Usually, if we'll take some time to pre-plan, pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-plan. For next year, as we're putting things away, it'll go a lot smoother. And I I love it when I'm organized enough to do this and when I think ahead um, in advance like that. So let me just, again, for those of you who are kind of thinking about that or who who need a little nudge (laughs) to make that happen, when you're cleaning up one kind of season, it's so good to think about what what you're going to do differently next time you break these activities out so you're not flying by the seat of your pants again. So take a look at those posts from Teach Me to Talk. The whole, I guess, the week after Thanksgiving, I started posting just really cute therapy ideas. So look at those so that you are all set to go next year. 
Uh, speaking of that, man, this year I found the cutest organizer. <laughs> I want to just give a little plug to iheartorganizing.com, and I have not gotten comped on anything I've bought from her. She offers personalized uh, printers or personalized planners, I'm sorry, that you print on your own printer. And she has just such cute things and ways to really select a planner for the next year or a calendar and put that together and make it your own. Now, these last few years, I've done a lot of <laughs> buying commercial planners or store-bought planners, but then I've made these little books, these little notebooks. I guess once Pinterest evolved a few years ago, I really got into more of that than I've ever done before. But I had to always make these little notebooks, which were really cute but to and that I like doing, but it never was quite what I wanted. And I always wanted it to be one bigger organizational tool where I could keep all of my to-do list and just all of my planning in one place rather than having a calendar or a planner and then having, you know, a notebook for this or a notebook for that. And so I love her individualized approach to making a planner. So check that out. And again, I have not gotten paid or, or any free products or, or, or anything, any kind of compensation to promote uh, Jennifer there and what she does, but she's it's so cute, and I wanted to share it with you. If you too have struggled with pulling together all of those pieces of your life in one place, because I like to have my family calendar, my work calendar, my website organizational things, the podcast plan, I like to have everything there at my fingertips in one glance, and I haven't been able to do that. But 2015, I'm going to be able to do it because of that cute, cute tool that I've gotten from iheartorganizing.com. And she's got a, the blog there, but then you can click on her Etsy store and find all of those uh, really neat planning options. So I wanted to mention that as well. As you are approaching 2015, let me also tell you about two therapy guides that I did a year or so ago. One is the winter uh, therapy guide, and it's all for treating groups of children. So ideas for small groups, whether it be sibling groups or groups that you see at preschool or a clinical setting or, or whatever you do, however you might see a daycare, um, you know, more than one kid at a time. Let me point you in that direction because it is a darling therapy guide. There's ASHA credit or continuing education credit available if you need that and certainly can count that toward your licensure or your credentialing activity. So there's one for that. Then there's also one for um, Valentine's Day and other kind of winter activities, but it's a structured teaching um, video. It's on, and both of these are online, and so you get immediate access after you pay. You can find information about that at teachmeandshot.com. So as you're planning, as if, if you're taking some time off <laughs> over these next few weeks and you kind of want to get a jump on what you'll be doing in January and February, that, again, that pre-planning period, Take a look at those two projects because you'll get some great, great, great ideas uh, for therapy for those first few weeks that you are getting back um, after the first of the year. I also wanted to mention that I always think about the end of the year as TeachMeToTalk.com's anniversary because in 2007, so seven years ago now, I took two weeks off because Johnny, my husband, and you've heard me talk about him if you've listened to the show, and you know that he's really the other half of 
teachmetotalk.com in my practice. And he had been bugging me for years, please write a book, please write a book. I hear you talk. I listen to these conversations, and you really have some great information to share. And at that point, of course, our children were younger. They're all, they're all grown now or young adults, and you know, 18 almost 23 and 25 and you know subtract seven years and that's how old they were and eight years as as ago and so we had a busy home life all three of these kids and he would say you know again I want you to write a book and I, I said I barely have time to go to the bathroom how in the world can I figure out how to write a book with our life you know look at me I'm barely able to you know do the things I have to do and so he finally convinced me at the end of 2007, he said, you know, there's this thing called a blog. And I really think maybe you should start a blog and start kind of writing down some of your ideas and some of these things that I hear you say and some of these things that, you know, therapists, I hear them say to you, gosh, that was such a great idea. Thank you for telling me that or thank you for helping me with this. And he said, I want you to do it. And I just kind of said, yeah, 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 whatever. And I, because I didn't really know what a blog was, I certainly was on the Internet then and we had had a computer at home and internet for years and years and years but I didn't really quite understand what he meant but then he said oh and by the way why don't you take off two weeks at Christmas and be off the same time our kids are off and then that's when you can start that blog and I had never been off for more than two weeks at a time unless I had given birth so for him to say take two weeks off oh done that was a deal that was something that I could not pass up so Seven years ago, the end of 2007 is when I started writing my post for Teach Me to Talk. Now, some things have changed since then. One of the things that I wrote about then, <laughs> um, well, let me just say some things have changed, but the more things change, sometimes the more they say the same. And one of the first articles that I wrote was Attention Deprived Babies. And I wrote about how mom, or the whole article kind of, was born because I was walking around a drugstore. I think it was Walgreens. And it, again, it was during Christmas. But this mom had her baby in in a, a carrier completely covered. And the baby was crying the whole entire time she was walking around the store and, and perusing the store. And I think she might have, I didn't look at the article, but I, as if I remember correctly, I think she might have been on the phone for part of that time and she was talking. And that really rattled me. I wanted to go over and say, uh, if you're not going to tend to this baby, could I perhaps see if I can make a difference and help this baby calm down and regulate a little better? Haven't you all had that feeling before where you just want to say to a mom, let me help you. Please, let's see what we can do to make this baby calmer and 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 appease this baby or fix what's wrong. Let let me do, let me help you if you're not going to be able to do it. And so today, Johnny and I were out Christmas shopping, and I had that same situation presented over and over and over. We were at a couple different places. We were at the mall, and then we were we were in um, a grocery store, Kroger, and then we were also at Target. And in all three of these scenarios. They were crying children. Now, I'm not saying that kids don't cry because, believe me, <laughs> I am well aware of how kids cry, especially when they're tired and mom is distracted or whatever. But I just really, I was so struck by that <sighs> lack of attention 
that so many parents seem to give a crying baby, especially in a public place. You know, you can't necessarily just kind of walk off and leave them at home if you're going to do a whole cry it out or let them kind of figure out how to calm or whatever. I can see how there possibly may sort of be a need for that approach. However, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but I don't really understand when you're in public how a mom can continue to shop or do whatever or talk on the phone. Or let me tell you what happened today. They weren't talking on the phone. They were just looking at the phone, just scrolling. I don't know if they were on a social media site or checking email or whatever, but it to me was pretty revealing. And again, I wanted to say, put the phone down. <laughs> Please see what's wrong with your baby. And I mentioned that to Johnny a couple different times whenever I would see it. And he is so kind hearted. He would always say things like, well, maybe they've tried this or maybe they've done something or maybe they're just going to get out of here and then do it. And that's great if that's what really were happening but I'm just again always shocked when parents aren't trying to soothe toddler or a baby who's really really crying so that really reminded me of that post from seven years ago and then that reminded me that this is really our anniversary so to speak, when teachmetotalk.com launched, and I always get a little bit, um, have that feeling of nostalgia with that. And I'm so um, grateful for this opportunity and grateful that I, I get to keep talking about things that interest those of us who are pediatric speech-language pathologists and moms of children who are late talkers. So thank you for that opportunity. And again, it does still provide me a little bit of a soapbox so that I can say Things like, I wish we would do a better job of teaching parents how to attend to their young children when they are obviously distressed. So that might be something that you think about and something that you want to help your parents of children that you're working with, help the families that you're working with know things they could do to help a fussy baby or an irate toddler calm down. And, and again, that's not to say that that ignoring sometimes those behaviors may be effective, but more often than not, I really think toddlers need loving, attentive, focused parents who are trying to help their child feel better in uh, what may be a pretty overwhelming situation like a mall or a store or, you know, there could have been a physical need. The kids are hungry or maybe they've been out, you know, shopping four or five hours and we're just done. So we need to be really cognizant of the fact that especially children with developmental delays are more prone to have fragile little systems. And so we need to be sure that we're educating parents and providing options and alternatives and strategies so that moms know what to do and know how to address their little ones when they are really, really upset in those situations. So I wanted to mention those two things for those two reasons. All right, we better get going with the topic here today. <laughs> kind of went off on a little tangent, but if, again, if you've listened to the show for very long, that is about what we do around here. Today we're going to be talking about vocabulary development in toddlers when they seem to be stuck. And I've gotten 
this question over and over and over and over and over. And let me just read you a question that came from a speech-language pathologist. Actually, you know what? She's an assistant. So she's an SLP assistant. And this is so similar to a kind of question that I get from moms all the time, too. And I'll try to find the one, the most recent one from a mom. But let me read this one, and then we'll, we'll kind of talk about what's going on. And I did not get this person's permission to share her name, so I'm not going to. But she says, I'm looking for ideas for a kid I'm working with. She's a little girl adopted from China. Um, and it said her receptive language is above average, so she's doing great. Her delay is in spontaneous use or expressive language. She's 32 months old, and she produces 113 words. And so right then I would want to stop and say, you know, for a little girl who was internationally adopted, to say that her receptive language is above where we would expect it to be, that's a big deal, guys. That's huge. I love it. I love it. I love it because we know that children who understand language are going to have a much better prognosis than a child who does not understand language like we would expect for his or her age. So great things there, and the child does have 113 words. Now, again, let me just stop you and ask. If you're a speech pathologist, you should know this answer right away. But how many words should a 32-month-old child have? What's What's normal for a child who is two and a half? Well, let's kind of look at it, again, from, not from the perspective of a speech-language pathologist because sometimes, or developmental interventionist or whatever you call yourself in your state, sometimes we confuse <laughs> the milestones that we use on from our test with normal or average when really we're just looking at the bottom expectation for normal so at 24 months we know the bottom expectation for normal would be how many words it would be 50 words well a typically developing 24 month old has 200 to 300 words okay and then by the time that a child's three certainly more than that different studies say different things this the the reference always uses you know 400 to 500 words by 36 months, so children really have a language explosion right before that second birthday, and it certainly continues throughout that child's third year, meaning between the second birthday and the third birthday. So for a child at 30 months, 32 months, and again, for we as speech-language pathologists who work with delayed kids all day long, we might hear 32 months and 100 words and go, Woohoo! which I certainly have already done that. <laughs> but we have to keep in mind what would be normal. So we would expect that child to have three to 400 words, right, just based on how old the child is and for what we know about typical language acquisition. So she does certainly need to be in therapy. She is getting therapy. And this, assist, this speech-language assistant goes on to say, her vocabulary understanding, again, is above normal. But she says her syntax is below average. And so, again, if you're not a speech pathologist, what is syntax? I like to think about syntax as grammar, meaning that she's not using all of those little grammatical markings like, well, this is what she probably means. She probably means 
verb tenses. She goes on to say um, her long-term goal is to increase sentence length, the use of grammatical morphemes, and vocabulary diversity. And she gave me an example. She said she will say this is fork, and I want her to say this is a fork. And she said, I'm an SLPA, and I need to come up with six weeks of therapy. And so she's asking me for ideas. So let's just kind of pick this apart for a second. And, again, I'm not, I don't mean this in any way or any, any – I'm using this for an educational purpose to say a couple different things here. And this was my reply back to this person who sent me this email, and this email is several weeks old. And so the first thing I said – uh, was to kind of, she had already pointed this out, that she needs more diversity in her vocabulary. And I usually use the word expansion. We need to develop and expand this child's vocabulary. And let me just say, when a child only has 113 words, you are not going to see grammatical markers or morphemes develop yet because her vocabulary is not big enough for those things to have come in yet. So if you are thinking that you can get a child to say, this is a fork versus this is fork, you can work on a, the, the you know marker there for that noun, fork, until you are blue in the face. <laughs> but until she gets more depth and more expansion in the different classes of words that she uses, I mean, to me, that's incredibly picky to want that article A, you know, article, think back to English class. I mean, and I'm an early interventionist, so I hardly even know how to classify words, little words like, you know, A or A or A, uh, you know, however you want to say that, or an or the, you know, those are really called articles. Those kinds of uh, little picky parts of grammar really don't come in in typical development until a child has several hundred words. So that would never be a goal that I would really, really target with a child until he or she is already producing much longer sentences and until we have many, 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 many words uh, many more words beyond, you know, 113 um, if we're just strictly looking at the number of words that a child would use. So that was my response to her with, hey, you got a lot of work to do before you get to <laughs> worrying about articles or, again, making sure that grammar is correct there. Um, and adding in, even, you know, she said she uses the word like is, that helping verb, you know, that would be a, a later developing verb. So in compared to all of the other more functional kinds of verbs that she could use. So my advice to her was forget about looking at, you know, Brown's stages of morphine development or whatever that was. That That's valid research and certainly those were things that we all learned in grad school. But from a very functional everyday perspective, <laughs> there's a lot more to work on there uh, than looking at something as technical or as picky, which is the word that I used back to her. So I, I encouraged her to really take a look at 
um, analyzing, taking those 113, that, that word list, that word journal that she had come up with, and really breaking that down and deciding how many of those words are names for things or nouns. And, you know, again, if you're a mom and you're not really using words like nouns and verbs, you know, nouns are names of people or places or objects. Uh, things so uh, to break her words down and really do an analysis of the word is so she could look at it from nouns verbs those are the action words so words that you do taking a look at that also looking at location words which are prepositions that's the the English term that we learned so words like in out on, off, up, down, here, and there. Those are the prepositions that children should master by about two and a half. You, some some sources also add the prepositions under and around in that age span, but I always think about them coming a little bit later. But we all say under. We all teach under. It's something that happens every day in a toddler's life. Things get lost. They're always under something, so it's certainly one that you could throw in there. Uh, looking at those kinds of words, and then pronouns are our other big word class. So looking at words like my, mine, and me, the most important pronouns for our little friends who are in that stage of development where everything is about them, so important ones. And then, of course, I and you come a little bit later, but there's certainly words that by two and a half we would want a child to have. So if you look, and, and I didn't even mention the huge variety of nouns or verbs that we could certainly teach a 32-month-old, not even by looking beyond what she would encounter within her home or her environment in the course of a day. And you don't have to sit down with big groups of flashcards or even vocabulary lists to figure out New nouns, you could teach a toddler. All you have to do is hang out with them and look at what they're doing and look at what they're paying attention to and look at what they like before you can certainly come up with lots and lots and lots and lots of new nouns and verbs to teach a 32-month-old. So that's what I suggested that she do. And it's the same for any mom or any other therapist who would write me or email me or ask me if they see me in person or if they're at a course or if I'm working with their child. This question of, he talks a little bit, I can't get him to say a whole sentence. Or, you know, she uses a few words, but I just can't really get her to talk back to me in in longer conversations guys all of that all of that all about that usually is traced back to vocabulary development and so we really have to teach a child hundreds hundreds of words before we're ever going to hear sentences or really have much of a conversation where you are um hearing those longer exchanges back and forth. So we always have to make sure that we are, are aware of that and that we are making sure that a child has enough of a base to support moving on to longer utterances 
and I realize utterances, that's a really, that, that's a word that many people probably don't use unless you're a speech pathologist and that's kind of what we're trying to say or how we think of sentences or phrases or even single words, you know, what a child would utter. That's kind of what we call it. But I get a lot of questions about that. How can I increase, you know, we call it the mean length of utterance, an MLU. How can I increase a child's MLU? Guys, it always, 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 the goal that we think about before we think about MLU is how big is that vocabulary base. So you've certainly got to do some analysis of how many words a child has. And again, if you're a mom and you're listening and you're thinking, well, how, I don't even know. How many words does my child use? This is how I suggest to parents of children that I see on my caseload keep up with it. I say, I want you to do a word journal and I want you to keep just a piece of paper somewhere or on your phone or however you want to do it. You can put it on the fridge or again, you can kind of, if you have a cool phone and have the capacity to, you know, either write with your stylus or type in um, any word that you hear your child say on his or her own. So that would mean if mom says, want your milk, and the child says milk, we wouldn't count that one because that would have been imitated, meaning the child just said the word because she repeated what she heard somebody say. But we want to keep a really good count of words that a child would use spontaneously, meaning that on his or her own. And so I usually recommend that moms do it for three or four days. Sometimes I'll say, why don't you just do it this weekend, if, you know, especially if it's a child who is in daycare and mom only would maybe see before or after work. During the week's not usually a good time to do it. But, you know, now would be a great time to do it over this holiday period where more families are home and all together. And I, I just say, let's just, Keep this little running list and figure out what he or she would say on um, his or her own. Valuable information can come from an exercise like that. Sometimes a mom is surprised because she's not realizing how many different words a child is really producing. And so sometimes I have moms that are so excited when they've done this and they've realized, you know, man, things are moving along quite nicely here. Things are better than I expected them to be. Sometimes, though, <laughs> we have the opposite reaction. And so that a mom realizes, gosh, most of what my child is saying is really because he's imitating what someone else has said, imitating what some what he's heard, you know, an older sibling say or something from you know, if he's watching a DVD, he might repeat some of that. Or, you know, just in talking with mom or dad, he might echo what mom or dad said, which is a good thing. We certainly need to hear that. Verbal imitation is a huge step in helping a child learn to communicate. But when we're doing a word journal, we really, really, really only want to count words that a kid says on his or her own. And sometimes moms are surprised and they say, well, really, he's doing a lot more repeating than I thought. Or he's he's not really initiating anything on his own. He He seems to talk all day long, but until I did this, where I really recorded only what he said on his own or only what he said first, I didn't really realize that he wasn't talking um, independently as much as I thought he was. And so in this kind of situation, you really are able to 
determine what your goals should be. You're really able to know, you know, gosh, this child has 20 words, and all of them are names for um, people or, you know, they're people or things he likes to do. And you start to realize, gosh, uh, he doesn't have any action words. We don't have any words like go or eat or jump or um, stop or run or um, open, close, any of those really, really common action words. And so it's going to be really, really hard. Or, or let's take this example. One time I remember this happening. It was years and years ago. I was working with a little girl with Down syndrome, and she was verbal. She was over three, and she, so she was talking, and hallelujah, we were happy to finally get words <laughs> because she was a little girl that I worked with from right before her second birthday until, and again, she was about three and a half. And so she had started to talk, but her parents were so anxious to get to phrases. And I remember you know, again, these are highly educated parents. Mom was a teacher, and but she was staying home, and Dad was an attorney. And I said to them over this this weekend, I want you to really, really write down all the words that she says, and they had gotten to close to 75 words. And so we were thrilled with that. We were just thrilled. But when we went back and really analyzed it, they were pretty much all nouns. So all names for things. It is really hard for a child to have a big variety of phrases without other kinds of words in his or her vocabulary. So we realized right away what the problem was. We needed to teach some new word classes. And it also helped mom and dad pull back a little bit because I was able to say, you know, she might be able to say a phrase like, daddy's car or mama's coat or, um, you know, Emmy's shoe using two nouns or two names. But beyond that, there's not a lot of variability there. <laughs> you can't really make up too many different phrase combinations when you only have names for things or when you only have nouns. So you have to, again, be sure that you're using that information and you know what to glean from it and that you're able to really see what your next goal should be. And if you're a mom and kind of going at this on your own or if you're a newer therapist and you haven't really thought about it in that way, maybe you've only, you know, again, you've been so excited about the number of words that you haven't really taken a step back to look at that depth of vocabulary or the variety. So I would encourage you to do that. Another way to kind of look at this is from a pragmatic perspective too. You know, I asked um, the person that sent me that email how she was using, uh, how this little girl was using a lot of her 113 words. Is she just labeling? Because that this is fork, that's, that's a straight, excuse me, a straight label. You know, you really should be looking at, at is she requesting? Is she responding to questions when we ask her? Is she using this to, again, um, comment? How is she using? So that use piece, that pragmatic piece is really, really important too. So we want to be sure that that we don't end up with a child with lots and lots and lots of names or or labels for objects and events and activities and they're not able to do much beyond that other than naming it 
that's a big marker for high-functioning autism in a toddler. And many, many times I'll get children who were over three or even children who were still two who have been excluded from receiving services from one program or, or another. They may not be delayed enough to participate in their state's early intervention program because one of the questions might have been how many words does this child use and if a two-year-old has 200 words you know at 24 months 27 months he or she is not going to qualify for services and it still may be that there's a problem because all that child can do is name things he may not be able to go into the kitchen and ask for milk when he wants it, but he can see a picture with a glass and white liquid inside and say milk. And that's a real problem with communication. That's a pragmatic issue. He hasn't learned how to really use his words in a functional way to communicate. But we'll see that a lot. And if you're in early intervention, you may not see it as much as folks who continue to see children past age three you know and I hear all the time with our colleagues who work in preschool or kindergarten about a child who might come in and is certainly talking but not communicating and and again they may be have you know a couple hundred even hundreds of words and not really know how to use those words to ask for what they need or to respond to a question or to participate in conversation. And those kids can be a little hard for parents and, oh, my goodness, especially pediatricians to figure out because they're not really looking at communication in a way that involves those those aspects of using words beyond you know just that vocabulary size. So I want you to really pay attention, too, to how a child gets his or her needs met and again that's with requesting that's with responding to questions being able to answer a mom or dad when they say what do you want um, so that a mom would know what's bugging her kid or why he or she is crying or what they are fussing about or wanting and so we have to be sure that we are looking at at not only the number of words and not only where those words might fit if we analyze them by type of word, but how a child is able to really use um, the words that he or she can obviously say <laughs> to uh, get their needs met. Um, let me give you some additional recommendations if you are a speech pathologist and need some more help with this. My manual, Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual, has lots of ways to look at vocabulary development, lots of strategies to and activities to help you teach those different kinds of words, and certainly many, many, many ideas for helping parents learn how to do that at home. And let me just say one more word about that book. Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual is written for professionals. So speech language pathologist, uh, early, early in, um, intervention instructors, that's what I'm trying to say, uh, EI specialists, developmental interventionists, whatever you call yourself in your state, developmental therapist. That book really was written for professionals, but lots and lots and lots of really committed moms have been able to take that book and read 
the information and then use that to direct their home therapy programs and really help provide some structure for their own children when they're working uh, with a child at home. And lots of therapists tell me that they will, well, let me just tell you how this book is organized. It's it includes every milestone from just under 12 months, just under when we would expect to start to see evidence that a child understands words as well as uses, begins to use words. So it's right under all those milestones in that 6 to 12 month period all the way through 48 months, so all the way through four. And there are little sections or shorter chapters on social skills and cognitive skills because, guys, those are the foundational pieces. You know, sometimes, gosh, this happens all the time. Moms will write and say, my child isn't talking. What should I do? Well, I'm going to need some more information than that before I'm able to help you. But lots of times it really does trace back to the child isn't interested enough in other people, isn't engaging enough with other people in his or her environment well enough to be able to talk. So we have to really work on that interaction piece first. And so the social skill chapter will give you some information about that. Cognition is huge. We're not going to really talk about that in much detail other than to say that there are cognitive milestones that a child absolutely positively must have mastered or be working on in his or her daily world, and we have to see lots and lots of evidence that a child is learning and acquiring these cognitive prerequisites for talking before we would expect a child to be able to understand words and then use words. So there's a section on cognition, and if you're a speech pathologist and you've never worked on cognition, you need to look at that and be sure that you are thinking about that and including that, especially with our little guys who are lower functioning so that we can really, really help parents understand that that's the root of the problem and that that's why the child isn't talking. It's that cognitive piece. And when we work on the right stuff, then we start to see some progress. And then the huge chapters on receptive and expressive language. And I take every single milestone that I could find on several tests, several assessments kind of across disciplines and looked at, well, communication and cognition and the social things. I didn't really look at motor skills in this book because it's about communicating, but looked at all of those milestones from under 12 months through 48 months, and so the milestone is listed, plus several ideas or activities that you could use within the session, plus a paragraph or two about what you should recommend to parents that they do to follow up at home and really make sure that the child is working toward his or her goals all week long, all the time between therapy sessions. Because parent, I, I really feel like that most of the time when a parent has gone to the trouble of getting a child enrolled in therapy, they want to help. They, they want to know what they should be doing too. And it's always a red flag to me. If you're a mom listening and your speech pathologist is not giving you homework or not telling you what you could be doing or not going out of her way to really teach you all the things that you can do all day long every day to help your child, you need to have a conversation with your therapist about that because you are with your baby many, many, many more hours than a therapist will ever be there. And you know your child inside and out. And there are so many more opportunities for you to be able to address these things. And so you need to know what to do 
in really effective ways that, that are really specific to your child and what your child likes in his or her own little profile of strengths and weaknesses. So, again, if you're a parent and you're not, you don't know these things, you don't get regular feedback from your therapist about what you should be doing from day to day and week to week and month to month, that's a conversation that you really need to have. And if your therapist isn't able to give you that, perhaps you should look for some different alternatives so that you can get that information and you're able to be as effective as you can be with that child. So my original point with this about the therapy manual was that a lot of times therapists will tell me I copy sections of that book and give it to parents and then they're able to really read and understand what we're working on. Sometimes a mom will email me and say, hey, I'm using this book and I found it so helpful that I loaned it to my therapist. And now, you know, she's she's getting it too. And I just wanted to thank you because now we're both on the same page. So tons and tons of information in Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual, about the topic of vocabulary development. And we didn't talk about this with with this particular therapist email yet because she said the child's receptive language was above uh, what she expected it to be for her age. And again, that is fabulous. But let me just say, so many times our little guys who are late talkers aren't using as many words as we would want them to because they don't understand what those words really, really mean. And so, again, sometimes that's the real root of the problem. And so if you're just looking at how many words a kid can say, you've kind of missed the whole point here (laughs) because until a child is able to really understand what that word means, he's very like unlikely to be able to use it to talk. So for lots of our friends, we have to go back and make sure that we teach them what words, different words mean. And so if you have a child who has lots and lots of nouns, let's say the child has, you do a, a fabulous word journal and you figure out, that he or she is saying, you know, 40 different words, but none of them are, you know, none of them are prepositions. So no location words or no descriptive words. We didn't even talk about that. We didn't talk about uh, words that describe other, uh, that describe nouns or verbs. And so words like big or yucky or cold, you know, all those descriptive words, or fast. Those kinds of words are really, really important too. And so sometimes until we really take a look or take a step back and we think, gosh, that's she's missing a whole class of words, that's what we can use our time. That's where we should be directing our um, efforts here to help her understand those words, make sure she knows what those words mean and she can show you which one is big versus which one is little, or um, understand a word like loud or like soft. You know, again, there's a big, big range of words that we could use that would be developmentally appropriate here. So we really begin to teach a child to differentiate between those concepts, and then we see a jump in her vocabulary because she suddenly understands much, much more than she did before. So we have to be sure that we are looking at that receptive language piece too. Let me say one more thing here too. Sometimes we'll look at a vocabulary list, and you may not have thought about it in this way before, but you'll realize, gosh, 
there are own there are no words that this child uses with a whole class of speech sounds. So you may <laughs> a child may have ten different words, but they may all or only contain bilabials or only be words that that start with or possibly even end with a, a, a sound made with your lips, a P, B, or an M. And so I've seen that happen before too where I'm, where I'm talking to a mom and she's giving me a list of words and it might be that the kid can say mama and bye-bye and maybe, you know, book for book or ball and maybe papa. And then I start to realize, gosh, we're not here, you know, and mom may say he he tries to say a lot of other words, but I don't know what they mean. And then I start to really listen, and the child, the only recognizable words are those with um, those one whole set of consonant sounds. And so then we start to really work on words that contain other sounds, and we realize, gosh, we have a real speech sound disorder going on here, and mom didn't really recognize any of these other words because she didn't understand that you know a word that's just with vowels she didn't really realize that he's trying to say dada he's just doing ah, ah or ah for dada and mom has missed it because he can't produce consonants made in the middle of his mouth and again that's not something that we should pay you know over analyze with a child because i believe that we should always excuse me, focus on language, 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 making sure that what a child says is much, much, much more important than how she says it. But occasionally we'll have kids who don't even try to produce words, kinds of sounds, because on some level they know they can't. So that that's not, that's I don't want to say it's rare, but it's not as big a focus. But if you if you have a child who again has seems to have a handful of words, then everything else sounds the same. That could be it. And if you're a mom listening and you're kind of thinking about that, and you think, man, I don't I don't know if that's I don't know if I can really think about it in that way. Don't worry about that. Just keep trying to push ahead with teaching new words, and know that at some point you'll need a speech-language pathologist to help you analyze the speech sound portion of that and make sure that you're teaching a child how to produce new consonant sounds made at different places in his or her little mouth. And again, I don't want to get overly analytical with speech sounds because goodness knows, speech pathologists, we can do that. That's who we are. That's mostly what we you know, spent the majority of our time learning how to do in grad school, kind of overanalyze the intelligibility or the articulatory accuracy of a child's speech when in early intervention we should still be focusing on language or the words or the words that he or she is trying to say, even if they don't sound completely like we want them to sound or even if we can't understand everything. But occasionally we will have a child that, that – their vocabulary size isn't what we would expect because the intelligibility is just not there. And so mom doesn't even realize that a child is trying to say um, maybe half the words that he or she is trying because the, the speech sound system is so delayed or disordered. And so we have to be sure that we're considering that. But again, that's not the main thing that I think that pediatric speech pathologists who specialize in birth to three 
are treating really, really young, toddlers should really, really worry about. Um, so I think we've said all that I wanted to say about vocabulary development. I did a whole series of shows about vocabulary development in the podcast probably the summer of 2012, and I will try to link um, the show numbers here because I know we spent weeks talking about that and and I really gave lots and lots and lots of examples. And so I want you to go back and if this is something that you're interested in and interested in knowing more about and, you know, thinking about it and listening to it um, in a more um, specific kind of way, I'm going to be sure that I'm linking that show or those series of shows so that you can go back and listen to that as well. All right, that's going to do it for tonight. I'm glad I got a podcast in this Christmas week. And again, those of you who've emailed me and sent me little messages to say, I haven't heard a new podcast. I haven't, what, what's going on? You know, are, are you stopping? No, 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 absolutely not. It's just been really, really busy, and certainly I know that you probably feel that way too in your lead up to the holidays. So let me just say Merry Christmas to you and to your families, and I wish you a wonderfully restful holiday season. Uh, I talked about some organizational things at the beginning of the show, though, so if you have time to think about work, those are things you might want to do to get a jump on uh, 2015. And uh, let me just end the whole uh, series here, too. Oh, let's not forget our Jewish friends. Happy Hanukkah as well, or whatever you celebrate. Happy holidays. Have a great week. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.